Last time on Montreal Sauce. These institutions are, are very poorly funded um, increasingly, and they're challenged to pick and choose what they do include in their collections. And a lot of stuff will be lost as a result. And these collections are so incredible. We went to go see the... Um, for anyone out there who lives in Vancouver or is coming to visit Vancouver, I'm doing a shout out here for the Museum of Vancouver and the Planetarium because they're spaces that have been around for so long and people who locally are here, I just don't think it gets the attention and the love that it deserves. And we went to downstairs to go see the archives and it's well, to me, it's a bit of a dream world because of my nerdy love for museums and institutions. <laughs> but um, it it literally was a basement full of artifacts like you know, um, things that people had donated, things from the Olympics, like a random mascot that <laughs> is now a part of history because at that point in time it was a big deal for Vancouver. There was artwork, there was old neon signs, there was old documents and collections of like vases and things that people would have used in their life at certain different eras. And it was all just jam packed into this basement. And they had this tiny little corner of the basement dedicated. It was like a little photography studio set up and someone was manually going through, taking a picture of each of these artifacts and putting them into a system and trying to find a way to standardize it. But it's, it's wacky when you think about it. I mean, you have like an old, um, I'm thinking of a typewriter right now again versus an old sign versus an old document. Like, how do you standardize how you search and look and save for that kind of thing um, in a digital space? It's challenging. And we went to go see the system that they're working with at the Museum of Vancouver, and it is unreal. It is just this complex <laughs> data heavy text, text, text. Like, not, you know, they're trying so hard to, to catch up and, and create these really accessible ways for people to know that these collections exist and be excited about it. But it is, it's tough. And the same, we, it's interesting. It's so interesting. We saw the exact same thing. We went to CBC radio archives um, and their system is the same thing. It's just text. And um, we met this really great woman who works there and her job is every single clip of news that goes out there. She has to create a tagging system so that it gets mm. archived under these groups mm -hmm. and categories. Um, and sometimes they do these kind of flashback news segments where it's, for example, when we went to visit, it was about it was the something hundredth anniversary, maybe for the Burrard Bridge. And she showed us how if there was a segment on that, she would have to go back and actually find the tags and the film reel from 50 years ago that showed like the, the inauguration of the Burrard Bridge or something really great like that, pull that piece, integrate it with the new piece and then track it in the new piece. All that information was somehow mm. a part of this newest one so that you can look back, we can look back to that now again in 10 years. So the standardization, I think of content is really um, it's complex. It's difficult. And it's, not just singular to one one kind of institution. Yeah, and they're very challenged. I mean, uh, we also did the planetarium, and one uh, it was plainly obvious to them that they they're they're desperately right now trying to establish an archiving system there. They don't really have one, and they had this guy Mike. We met Mike, and Mike was like the he had the encyclopedia of all the content of the planetarium in Vancouver in his brain <laughs> in his, in his brain. head. Yeah. And then he'd like jotted a lot down in a, in a word document. And it was like, it was all resting on Mike and Mike, Mike was getting tired and wanted to retire. And so they were trying to kind of get as much of this information out of his head. Um, <laughs> but then the dilemma for them is that, uh, you know, being an, an institution that is so poorly funded, um, 
archiving is a really low priority for them because they're really their biggest priority is to get people through the gate. And my argument back to them a little bit is like, I think if you can consider your archiving system in a, in a way that is not one that is internalized, but one that provides opportunity for access from the public, right? You provide yeah. an opportunity to build new audiences and affect that gate. You suddenly make the priority of that archive much more relevant um, from a cost right. perspective. Yep. Um, and you open up all sorts of possibilities, you know, uh, I'm, uh, one of the big things I promoted with this project internally with us was the value of, of uh, I dubbed it celestial mechanics and the importance of considering the stars above us and what that all means to the stuff we do every day and and the kind of the, the, the systems that are in place, what just makes innately makes sense. I believe space to be very important, the, the celestial bodies and whatnot. So institutions like that, um, as much as nowadays the Internet is full of them, you have a, a wonderful, wonderful space in the planetarium that is um, really kind of run down and stuff. But it's a beautiful little spot in Vancouver. And generations deserve to continue to go to these places to touch and feel and explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Archives is really an opportunity to uh, help rejuvenate these audiences for these types of institutions. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, I think uh, when I was still living in the States, uh Listening to NB- NPR, uh, they would always have like StoryCorps uh, time come on there, and like there's this you know organization that goes around and like sets up a booth, and people record the stories of their neighborhood and their lives, and uh, and you know they're building like this archive. But that's like something you know, like you're saying that the planetarium could have like an audio booth, and people could talk about like when they learned about the stars or their first trip to the planetarium, and then you can use that to along with like an archive that you're building to actually make displays and interactive displays, you know, for totally. future. Totally. Yeah. I've, a big, a huge part of it to me too, is, and in the work that I'm doing right now with NGX, it's referred to as an interpretive design and interpretive planning. It's how do you make this stuff interesting and relevant to people? There's one thing talking to the people who are enthusiasts or, you know, personally very invested or interested in a topic of conversation, but then there's also bringing things to the public that they may not have been aware of and making those experiences relevant through the way that we share information now. And that's really relevant to consider too, in terms of bringing archives back to life. And it's a very localized issue. You know, I think that it's easy to look at something like Vancouver. Vancouver is a really pushes itself to be this very modern international city. Um, but I think in the process of that, it forgets that it has a very rich history. Um, and, and some of these small institutions, these local institutions, um, seem to kind of be undervalued in that respect, but they're just as relevant as, as those big international, um, cities elsewhere. We're just so much younger and there needs to be a consideration around these things from a very localized level because this city is changing so drastically. Um, where things like history and and uh, become extremely important, um, just to help even define wh- what the place is. Vancouver is very much uh, often accused of of being fairly bland, um, and I find it a, a big misnomer because it, it has such a rich history. It just seems to be uh, reluctant to dip into it um, and to right. reference it. So. Again, these institutions and, and the systems that they have in place to, to preserve um, the aspects of, of this wonderful place we live um, are, are extremely important. Yeah, you have to have that 
that desire to, uh, you know, talk about the history and bring it in. I mean, I, I recently listened to uh, a podcast. Well, um, as listeners probably know, you can listen to filmfrown.com where we do a bad movie podcast, but, uh, I like bad movies and I was listening to a podcast where they were interviewing, um, the hosts of Up All Night on USA Network, uh, which was big thing in the, I don't know, maybe 80s and 90s. And uh, <laughs> one of the hosts was saying, like, um, you know, if anyone out there has, like, ever, like, just, like, taped one of our shows where I hosted a bad movie, you know, please get in touch with me because I don't have any of that. I've scraped together what I can, but I want to hold on to these things. Cause it's my work. And, uh, mm-hmm. and she was like, and you know, they said, well, we're, you know, the network isn't helping you with this. And she's like, no, like we would record a show, they would air it. And then we would use that same tape in the cameras and record the next show. <laughs> so she's wow. like, it's gone. It's just, yeah. Gone. Yeah. Was not deemed valuable enough to keep. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's like you the know, other it, organization. Yeah. This brings up actually an interesting concept too, or a, a topic as well. Is and and that is another way of uh, an additional way of looking at archives, right? Mm-hmm. Like this more open uh, kind of ephemeral vision of an archive um, is also valid. You know that idea that having stuff that that disappears is is also something yeah, that we should yeah. be comfortable with. Um, you know, and and that's again that's not a bad thing. Um, I, I think that I mean just look at graffiti culture. That's a perfect example of it, right? There's there's a tremendous there's something just uh, kind of really amazing about that idea that some of this, the most beautiful art you'll ever find is there one day and it's gone the next. Um, and there is a, a, a value in that, um, but the, there's also a, a disjointing of of kind of time and space uh, from the perspective. Of, like look at Twitter. You know, Twitter is very much designed to be of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you, the further you try to go back in time on Twitter, the harder it is, you know, and and that is uh, largely about them trying to uh, I think there's there's money to be made in that history, um, the, uh, the sure. analytics yeah. of it. Um, but, yeah, it's to say that archives can sort of be whatever we want them to be um, and they can be uh, very much ephemeral. Um, and, and there's some tremendous kind of opportunity within that um, creative opportunity um, and opportunity to learn. So, Again, you need to talk to, to, to Mel Hogan about all this. She's, she's the genius on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually our conversation has reminded me of a book that I read a while ago. Um, and yes, I was right. I had to Google uh, DuckDuckGo, actually, but uh, Werner Vinge is the author. Um, and the book is called Rainbow's End, and it's about uh, an older gentleman who has been frozen cryogenically because he had Alzheimer's or something to that like, and uh, he was cryogenically frozen and then unfroze in the future where they were able to cure that, and they also have some aging treatment. So he was like 70 when he was frozen, and now he has like the body of a 50-year-old. And when they do this in the book, this fictional book, obviously, um, they they put him through some college courses to get him acclimated to the future. And so they have the tech that uh, you, the two Pauls were talking about, like the the contact lenses with Internet access and his clothes have like 
sensors wired in them so he can interact with the internet. And so he's learning how to do that. And it's a great, there's a great bit about spam in there and, you know, all these pop-up windows coming up in your eyes as you're trying to walk around that he has to learn how to control. But the, the other thing that made me think of it was that. And then you also mentioned like, is Google going to like suck up our libraries? And it was a great uh, point in the book where, um, the university where he's attending these classes, their library is being digitized. And so there's some people protesting and he gets involved because old people, we love books. Um, so, <laughs> but Werner Vinge does a great job of this because as you can imagine, well, now like our systems are very complicated and they're very quick and so the idea of having to like turn a page and scan it, it does seem sort of archaic even today, let alone in this mystical future. So the idea is that all these books are just dumped into a shredder that can scan the pages as they're tore up quicker yeah. than it can page by page. So these people, that's why they're protesting. Like not only are you digitizing the library, but you're destroying these artifacts. Yeah. And you're destroying a really, like, important way that we used to consume information. I just can't get into reading books on an iPad or a Kindle. I tried it for a bit, but I love reading a book, like a physical book. And I hope that that never goes away. And in a future where everything becomes digitized, I just don't think it's always necessary to replace everything in the past that makes us human that, and that's worked for a long time with things that are online. Yeah, and it's about learning from some of those things, you know, I think... Again, you could look to vinyl as a great example of that. Um, you know, it's really fought back against technology <laughs> um, and, and done well in that respect. The comeback and, of the vinyl, actually, yeah. yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of kind of examples of that. And I think it's it's about being um, cognizant of those things. And, and change is inevitable and change is important. Um, like Like we're sort of demonstrating with with this project and the things we're kind of talking about, there's a tremendous value in what technology affords us. Um, but some of the ways that we uh, continue to communicate with each other, those kind of humane ways, um, we need to remind ourselves of the importance of those things, especially when it comes to building the inter interfaces of the future. Um, I think it's important to, to remember these, uh, some of these mistakes we made in the past. Oh, that's a that's another instance where um, there's there's that potential for how do you how do you perceive this? Is this a piece of media that you're going to think of as ephemeral? You're reading it now to get some entertainment value out of it, but you're not you don't need it permanently, or you're listening to it now because it's a popular thing and it's kind of catchy, but you you're not going to hang on to this thing. Or is this something that maybe has a little bit of a deeper meaning to it to you and you're actually going to like the idea of putting it on a shelf, keeping it in your office, keeping it on your nightstand? Um, I think of that when it comes to books because I used to buy paperbacks like crazy and I would read them once and then they would – I would usually bring them back to like the used bookstore and get a dollar for them and then go find mm -hmm. another paperback. And for those, for that kind of reading, I love my, um, I love using my iPad or my Kindle for that because I, I'm, I'm going to burn through it and I don't want to keep that physical thing. I don't like having that physical thing that I know that I don't need to really get to ever again. And if, you know, if it surprises me and I love it, 
then I'll go buy that physical thing and put it and, you know, finish the book there and, and put it on the shelf. And, and I do love that sort of tactical feel, tactile feel of, of physical media. And the same thing with songs, like I love pop songs, but I love them this year and next year I've heard it too many times and I'm never going to listen to it again. So I'm not going to go buy that album on vinyl but if I could go buy Green Day Dookie on vinyl, which dates me, I'm sure, uh, I would do it in a heartbeat because uh, I'm going to listen to that album over and over and over again until the until it literally just sounds like scratches when the record plays because I've worn the grooves right out of it. Yeah, totally. I remember talking to somebody about uh, the idea of I, I, I think he managed to build it. That idea of a, an MP, a degradable MP3, you know, that same concept of nothing's <laughs> the same, you know, no two yeah. of those artifacts are the same. That doesn't exist anymore, right? Because we just get Apple's pure version of what that MP3 sounds like. Um, and they all sound like that then. Um, very important. Also, it makes me think, too, of, of, of things around how we even take pictures nowadays, Um uh, maybe a little less of the tactility, but also, but definitely speaking to kind of memory uh, as it relates mm-hmm. to your example. And that is the, you know, the tendency that it used to be that when we would go on a trip or whatever, you would take, a, you know, you'd have rolls of film um, and you would take pictures and you, you know, you'd take one or two of an instant, unlike the 15 we take now, but, um, <laughs> and then you'd put them together 15. in an album Um and that would kind of be your holiday, right? Or, or the, you, they, you would kind of put them together in those things. And now we take a, at least a picture a day, right? Um, most of us. And, yeah, yeah. And but then even if it's just of, a whiteboard at work, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, all the different ways, and all those things are relevant in some way. When you take yeah. all those things, my argument, especially around this project, is if you take all those little bits and shreds and pieces, and if you know, what if you add all those different elements of like the songs you were listening to or uh, throughout time, and then if you start plotting those and go and experience that media again and see what else was kind of going on in your life around that, you paint a different picture of that experience. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't need to be a necessarily an ex- a complete experience. So that idea of like um, often, you know, we used to go to places, um, you go to the Eiffel Tower, for instance, and you take all sorts of, you take that prerequisite picture of you holding up the Eiffel Tower and you, you know, you take in all the, the space around it so that, you in an effort to to memorize the kind of that experience so that you can look back upon those pictures and remember exactly what was going on all around that well i i see the value a greater value in just taking a little shred of that experience a little picture and allow your memory to do the rest of the work you know a lot of the pictures i take on instagram are a little shred of something a little texture a little something um, of an experience um, and I see them as things that, uh, you know, if someone else looking at that picture would be understanding one thing, the experience for me is very different. All I need is that little little piece of, of, of the experience to trigger the memory of the entire experience. And if my memory has a bias within that that chooses to remember it in a certain way, what's wrong with that? You know, I think that mm-hmm. we, we are a very fact-based uh, society. We really desire kind of recreating the true experience. But I think we should give our memories a lot more credit. Mm-hmm. Um, they 
they do our uh, minds do a lot to protect us and and to remember that those things that are important to us and i think we should encourage um things that that you know make you work towards that um and and, and choose the memories that that you want to remember so it's it's i think that it it really speaks to sort of the change in in how we can look at our media that it's not um you know nowadays everything is photographed there's seemingly a picture of everything and so it's you know i find that when i go to you know events with friends and stuff i don't even need to take pictures because somebody's documented the entire thing right so um i think that the the richness of the experiences of uh, that we can recreate um, don't necessarily need to be all encompassing you know they can be little bits and pieces and and who knows maybe it's good for the alzheimer's if you <laughs> if you force your your um brain to to remember i've been referring to it lately as just an increasingly mind-numbing experience in terms of, you know, pictures that maybe were really special to share with people in the past are just all over now, everywhere. And it's the prerequisite picture of your friends when you're, I recently hiked, did a hike at Deep Cove. And when we got to the top of the hike, everyone had their cameras out and they were taking pictures and it was just, it's, it was almost like, this is what you do when you get to a top of a hike and there's a view. Um, and there was a time when that was a special thing um, that maybe didn't need to be documented in that way. But if it was, it was not like one of a million different pictures taken. It was something that meant something to you. And so I actually felt like in that moment that I didn't really need to document that in in an image and that enough of the memory of it was enough for me. And I think that that it just goes back to kind of what do you want the memory of an experience to mean to you? And when, when you, when I think back to your book example, my mom and I share books a lot. She lives in Toronto and I live in Vancouver. I love sharing books with her because she writes me little notes in the books. Mm, so she'll, mm-hmm. she'll underline things and she's, she somehow always has a pen or pencil when she's <laughs> reading a book. Um, and, we actually talked about this last time I saw her and she said, oh, how do I share this book with you? It's on my iPad. And we couldn't figure it out. And she'd written little notes on her iPad as well. So she's like highlighting things. But sure, I really yeah. felt like I lost that because it wasn't like sharing it in the same way that we would have in the past. So I think it. I think you bring up a really valid point in that it just goes back to what is that experience and that piece of digital media mean to you as a person? Yeah. And having a, a recognition that, you know, these little artifacts, digital or otherwise, I guess, uh, um, are interpreted in very different ways to different people. You know, I, I go play around in my garage sometimes and I have these old projects that my grandfather had started, you know, and it's my way of sort of interacting with him, I, not having experienced the actual project he was working on, but trying to figure it out. And so my view of that thing would be very different from his. Mine may be just more of a, an aesthetic. His may have been much more functional at the time. My father's interpretation of what that was as kind of the in-between would also be different. And the same applies to kind of, um, you know, the bits and pieces of the little pictures that we have or, or whatever it may be. You know, I, I think these are important things for us to be conscious of um, because it does seem like we get very wrapped up in the pressures of what, of how we're supposed to document our lives. Um, and again, it's, it's about saying like, you can document life in all sorts of different ways. Um, and it doesn't need to be an, an all encompassing one. So it's kind of a interesting, um, as, uh, Carolyn was saying, um, 
like I, I'm similar where I'm just like I kind of want to enjoy the moment and not be like everyone else with their phone out taking a picture. But uh, my my father-in-law uh, not too long ago like told me, you know, I'm whenever I take pictures now, it's just a people because he said, you know, we've been go- they made a big move from a house to a condo and you know really uh, shrank their living space, so they had to go through some stuff, and you know they just went through like all of their pictures and things, and he was like, we have all these pictures of things, and I don't know what it is, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. when you live when your life is so long, like you start okay, like this is like a bridge that we took a picture of, I don't know why. You know, like, you know, there, and like you said, sometimes like there are those memories attached to a photo and some, so his idea is like, I'm just going to take it of people and be like, oh yeah, that was this event. And okay. See, but I, I love that shit though. Cause I, I like, I, I Paul just swore on, on the internet. Oh, it's, it's no swearing. On the no internet. worries. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bleep it out for the he's one just, that goes out. So it's hilarious that way. Here right. we go. Make it a really long bleep. So it sounds like it was much more involved. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my grandparents moved out of, of an old house uh, a couple years ago. And uh, so I'm helping sort of sort through just mountains of stuff over, over generations. And, uh, came across this bag of like the, you know, like when you would, when you would uh, get pictures developed, you'd have a role and, you know, 30% of that role would be like useless pictures. Right. And so there was all these like off shots that were all kind of in this pile and they somehow got put in this bag and they were amazing. There was like these, these sort of very candid images that were accidental in nature and and they're just they're so compelling. And at the time it, when they were taken, they would see it be seen as like improper because that you know you weren't posing in that one, or this person's eyes were closed, or whatever. But there's sure. so yeah. much extra information within that. Um, you know, there was even some that were ripped up. Um, and there, I just found it fascinating the the kind of the the offcuts again that idea of the cutting room floor being just as valid um, in terms mm-hmm. of telling stories. Um, from a development perspective, you know, uh, increasingly, you know, there's there's a, a recognition of of within the process of making stuff that you hold on to everything because you can go back and like retrace your steps or an idea that maybe hit a, a dead end can be started up again. Um, sure. Yeah. And that was very much the philosophy that we were operating with uh, within Arcanodes, you know, is to to always consider that that it's it's not a, a linear trajectory of these things that there there always needs to be opportunities to go back and 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 dig through it again. On the complete opposite side of that, you think now of when you post a picture, I've I often think about this one, I can't take a picture now without feeling like I have to publicize it. I feel like a weird creeper <laughs> taking a picture of my friend and not putting it on Instagram and just keeping it for myself. Like, why would I want a picture of, of my friend just for myself? Of course, I'm going to make that public. So that's one. But two is now when I put a picture up, I have to spend like 10 minutes thinking about the caption and the filter and how to perfect it and make it make it this reflection of that version of my experience that I want to remember it, maybe even not even like it was actually what it actually was like, but what you maybe hoped it was like (laughs) on a really sunny day or a cloudy day, you put a filter on it. So it kind of looks like it was a sunny day. Um, And it just, 
it's a whole kind of other, I guess, conversation, but it like breeds this culture of like a not real life that we're sharing with each other anymore. And I think we, there's a lot of kind of talk about that in terms of the Instagrammers who are, you know, taking a picture of that messy bed in the morning, but it's that perfectly messy yeah. bed that has the cat <laughs> in the side and the cup of coffee balanced oh so perfectly on the, you know, Paul and I joked about about that a lot in terms of, you know, there's, you know, outfit of the days. Oh, I'm just strolling out my door and I happen to look like perfection. And it just it's it it really changes the way you see the world and those around you. And it's a dangerous thing, I think, sometimes to not have the rough cuts you sure. know, on the on the opposite side. And yet of there's the, there's also the phenomenon of like the, the no filter, you know, the, mm-hmm. the idea of yeah. like needing to bring that to people's attention. Like this is somehow more pure than the rest of the yeah, no filters are popular. Yeah. And it, it, I find it kind of comical uh, <laughs> in that respect, because, you know, there is the purest attitude of like those filters are kind of taking something away. But right. I, I think it's just it, it's sort of a, a bit of the the sign of the times but it, it, we live such fabricated lives increasingly now and there is such pressure to 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 kind of be uh, always performing in a sense yeah um, i think that's what the social sort of networks do which is kind of as carolyn said it was damaging is that we, we're presenting our best selves and so then those of us that are looking at these social profiles are like wow that person really has their life together i suck you know so it can be damaging in that way when we're presenting that of course uh the internet is just like the rest of the universe and uh those are just certain examples because then you also have the people on twitter who are just like yeah so i just ate four tacos <laughs> you know so, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you do get a mix um, of like the I'm sharing perhaps too much or yeah. I'm just sharing what I want to filter. It, it's it's commonly the, the kind of criticism of Twitter, right? That it's just that stream of consciousness, sure. yeah. the, that kind of thing. But, uh, and, and yeah, there should be a critique of that. And, it, and there is so much wasted stuff on there. But I think also there's like I think the stream of consciousness is sort of what we're saying a little bit, too, of like letting it hang out there a little bit more. Um, and that if you then create mechanisms to sort of gather up those pieces and add some other pieces in there, you can tell a pretty um, interesting story. Um, you know, I, I think that the the real criticism of those social networks should be around um, the kind of the broadcast nature of them. Um, you know, Twitter is not a broadcast model, and yet mm-hmm. so many um, – organizations and, and private interests use it that way. You know, it's, it's become just such a, a, a spammable uh, space, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that is what is killing those things. Cause that's not what they were intended, how they were intended to be used. Um, at least I, I don't see them that way. Um, whereas that kind of, I meet in Ford tacos, uh, you know, it may not be speaking to everyone, but it's speaking to someone. And, and I think that that's, really kind of interesting you know I, I i can think of all sorts of different mechanisms like i have a a group of guys and we we kind of exchange information on bbm which is hilarious because it's such a terrible technology <laughs> it's like it's just atrocious and we kind of laugh about how atrocious Paul, it remind is. us what bbm is <laughs> Blackberry Messenger. Blackberry at least Messenger. at least for you guys bbm keeps the message in your country Yes, that's right. And that was the argument. I think that's why we started using it because <laughs> there was a couple lawyers within the group. So it was like <laughs> um, the Barack Obama argument, I guess. And yeah. and so, um, but yeah, it's, it's hilarious though. But it, it's really fascinating as well because it's like this tiny little network where we're spread out across uh, the continent. And 
it's kind of a little thing of like someone will kind of jump in and say something and it's sort of like who's awake, who's up, who's up for chat and sort of thing in that respect of like somebody throws up a link or somebody mentions something and it's kind of whoever happens to be there and catch it. These kind of independent conversations take place and that's how these networks were uh, conceived. That's that's the intention around them of the opportunity to talk mm-hmm. uh, and to and to create those kind of connections. Um, and I think they're they're amazing. But I think that the opportunities there are amazing. It's just when it gets um, overwhelmed by um, the selling of stuff, really, that they become, um, you know, they lose that sense. So I digress. It's funny. I've got a uh, my uh, my oldest daughter is four, and uh, and we have an iPod Touch that occasionally we uh, we hand her so she can distract herself in the car or just hang out for a little while. And uh, uh, it's got a couple games on it, but her favorite thing to do with it actually is to pull open the camera. And uh, it really only recently has she become aware that what she's actually doing is taking and capturing photos. But she, uh, since she was two even, has loved to open up the camera just to hit the shutter button. And it's been interesting to see, like, her evolution of what she has been taking pictures of over the last two years. Because all yeah. those things, like, I plug that I plug that iPod Touch into my computer and all that stuff goes into my iPhoto library now. So I've That's got, awesome. That's I've really got cool. hundreds of pictures of my daughter's feet. <laughs> you know her That's shoes so in her car seat right or uh but now it's becoming photos of photos of mommy sitting in her seat photos of the thing that we went by photos of this red barn that we go past every day on the way to school it's like i'm learning the things that she's paying attention to because she's like capturing them for me. There you go. Those, those are the, those are the off cuts, right? Like there would be right. a point when we would see that as just like trash can worthy, but those, that's so compelling. That's, it's beautiful stuff, you know? And yeah. to be, to be able to look back on that uh, is amazing. Cause you can both see a character developing, you can see an eye developing. Um, uh, it's yeah. Fascinating stuff. And, and there's countless kind of examples of, of this. I think people are, are very creative and in, in their opportunities uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to sort of document in that way. I also think that the, the, these technologies and the the um, it was particularly with photography. You know, photography used to be a yeah. thing that you know you used to put on your resume that you're an amateur photographer. It's yeah, like nobody right. does that anymore. We're all amateur photographers, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and even people who never really had an artistic sense, they get on these social networks now, and you can see like you can see the trend of of types of pictures of how people take pictures and you know we very much kind of emulate each other on these networks um and you can you know i think it's it's wonderful that people who a generation ago never would have considered them artistic or had an artistic eye are suddenly participating in these systems and giving you a, a view of their world as well um which these technologies had provided us an opportunity to do. So I think they're tremendous in that respect. Um, yeah. Great story. That's it's a beautiful story. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. My, uh, when my, um, my grandma, when she moved out of her home and into, uh, uh, a, a old person's home, uh, when I was uh, probably what university, she, she had stuff she was giving away and she said, you know, come over here and get some furniture for your place or whatever. <laughs> And she had this box in the floor and I was like, well, what's, what's this? And she's like, 
those are the pictures, you know, the family's been back and forth and I've been giving away photos, but that picture, that box, you can probably throw that out for me because those are pictures of people like that were family friends or, you know, distant cousins that we, we don't know who those pictures are. Like we tried to label them and we took the ones that we knew who they were to give to people, but I don't know what to do with these. And I was like, well, can I have them? Because they're just gorgeous pictures, you know, because yeah, <laughs> they're right. so old and so great. And so I, I, I nabbed a bunch of her photos and. I think I was at the time in a graphic design program, so I got a few pictures of her too and fixed them. Um, you know, which is also something that's probably terrible and but maybe good is the ability to fix things like we're saying with Instagram filters, maybe not a good idea, but I was fixing the tears and the dirt marks and stuff like that and ah, it's I all sh- good. It's all good. I mean I, I think all that stuff is good. I, I think that it's I don't think it, I think the argument more is like it's not required, right? Like it's it's what you want to make of it now. And yeah, yeah. I think that there needs to be an okayness with that. You know, it's not it, it, it these things don't need to be all inclusive, and they can. You know, it's a remix culture that we live in, and I think that there's uh, we should encourage these types of things. Well, if she was still around. She would disagree with you because she was very angry that I took a picture of her um, in her bathing costume. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and fixed it up. Her and a friend at the beach, and I was like, "I got a good." And she well, was like, "No, yeah. you didn't show this to anyone, did you?" <laughs> well, just wait till your grandchild finds that picture of you on the internet or that collection of those pictures. They, 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 it's it's a, it's a whole other gamut of, of challenges that we know. Yeah. God knows or the this, pictures that have been taken of me. Yeah, all those pictures in my basement on my wall there of Carolyn that I didn't give to her or post on the internet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have a basement. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, hey, oh. Um, yeah, no, it's true. I, I mean, think of all the pictures of um, uh, that have been taken of you that you you don't know that have been taken of you. You know that yeah, conceivably right. those are can be found. There was that uh, I think it was a This American Life about uh, this this couple that were dating and and she saw this picture of uh, that he had. He's like, what's that? What's that picture of? It's like that's a picture of my uh, my mom or something. And then in the background was her grandma, and it was like somewhere on the other side of the country or something like that, right? Crazy. And she, the, the happenstance that her these two people that didn't know each other at the time, her grandmother was captured in the background of a picture on another part of the country. You know, it's um, crazy. Do you think of how many times you've been included in someone's picture, and now you know? Apple Photos has, has image captured that and facial mm-hmm. recognition wise, and you could conceivably track down all those pictures. You know, think of yeah. all those yeah. those fridges that you're on, standing as the goofball in the background, um, <laughs> accidentally photobombing someone. Yeah, who knows about that stuff? And it's very conceivable that we'll be able to access that that soon. So, scary thought. Yeah, that's definitely creepy. I find like. Anytime I see someone with their phone out, I'm like, oh, I need like some sort of like fancy technology that makes me blurry. Oh, I <laughs> totally agree. I had an incident recently with that where I was uh, in a barbershop, uh, getting my hair cut and someone was taking a picture. And it's just I don't know when it happened, but it happens now that people just deem it acceptable to to take pictures of to take sure. pictures of people yeah. without kind of asking permission or anything. And it's. It's, you know, I'm not comfortable with it. Um, and I know that a lot of people are, but I, I think some people aren't too. And 
you know, it's uh, everything goes on the Internet now immediately. So you need to assume that. And it's um, it's weird. So, you know, we have as much as we aren't England in that way, I don't have a a CCTVs. We (laughs) we really do. We all do still. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I find it fascinating just because my wife is a grade two teacher and, you know, each of her students, parents have to sign this agreement, you know, that says, you know, my child can have its photo taken or they could be used in school publications, things like that. And if they don't sign it, then they, you know, so then she has to make a conscious effort to take these two or three students and like put them in the back during like, you know, these events and things like that. And I'm always like, that's crazy. Or she herself will want to, you know, say, look what our class did today. And so got to make sure I don't take a picture of that child. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to post this or even just put it in a, a school document that just goes around in the school like paper, um, like she's like, I just have to be cognizant of that. And then yet, like, you know, six parents can walk in tomorrow evening to pick up their children and be like, oh, isn't that cute? And snap a picture and post it instantly. You know, <laughs> like she's not in control of what other people do. It's just really fascinating. Like she, her hands are tied. But, you know, I can just walk in there and post as many pictures as I like. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's it's now become the norm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all these situations where that we just there's there's a, always a camera. It seems. But I mean, how do you moderate that, right? We can't live in a society of hyper awareness of just you know ducking every picture and camera that we see. On the flip side, so no, you can't. I I, I think that's that's very true. I, I don't know that it is a, a monitorable thing. I think it's just um, the state of things, but it's. I mean, it's, it's kind of like we were describing how everything is, it's assumed that a picture is being taken of a thing. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have concerts now that they're like begging people to put their, their phones down so that they can just like enjoy the show. Um, Weddings. There was a wedding photographer that did a whole series on, he published all of the pictures that he's taken. Um, of, it's a picture of a bride walking down an aisle. It's beautiful. And just flanking her on both sides is just cameras and you can't even yeah. see the face of people. And he got so frustrated about this experience that he created a whole kind of thing around it in terms of like, look at how many weddings I've shot and how many of these pictures it's, it's ridiculous. And so he actually has his clients now sign an agreement um, beforehand that they are in line with kind of not having people using their phones and stuff um, for the purpose of, being more in the moment and also for the purpose of capturing those beautiful photos. Mm-hmm. I mean, on one hand, it's self-preservation of his craft as a photographer, obviously. Sure, and then on yeah. the other hand, it's also, you know, to capture a moment like that in all of its greatness requires a bit of focus and attention from the people who are there. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's exactly it. I think that that's what it does come down to is us having a greater awareness of our situations. And, you know, it's, I think if you're putting an unrealistic amount of energy towards preserving that moment rather than experiencing that moment in the first place, um, you know, all you will remember is the picture, um, which, you know, is is not as rich of an experience. And again, it goes back to that kind of concept of of using your memory. Um, And then it becomes then then it almost takes a flavor of like you look at that picture later and you're like, man, I'm. I'm, on the one hand, I'm glad I have this picture, but on the other hand, I wish I had been more in the moment instead Absolutely. of taking it. <laughs> now, 
Now I'm thinking like it needs to be like a Mr. Show with Bob and David sketch where like people are going through some old pictures and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that day. I was trying to get over to the left more and I really <laughs> wanted to get like a solar flare. But I didn't. Oh, yeah. And that day, like I used this. I used a Nashville filter and I really wanted to use that. That's <laughs> absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's exactly it's it. It's like so wrapped up in the experience of documenting. Um, <laughs> that that's what you're documenting is your experience of documenting. Right, right. So, I can't remember. These are where the I... pictures I took because I was mad that the Gotham filter got changed. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember where I read about another one where it was. I can't remember at all if this is even. Uh, I read it in a book and it was fiction or true, but it makes sense. Um, there was a kid at a recital, and it's like these kids are up there dancing and doing their play, and all the parents are in the crowd with their screens up. And the kid afterwards says, "Like, I didn't feel like you were there. Like, I couldn't see your face because the iPad was in front of the parents' head the entire time." <laughs> and so it's like that's like on the other end of the experience you're taking away from your presence right yeah. or like yeah. or like watching the the recital through the ipad through the that iPad, you're recording right. but the kid sees looking. your yeah, yeah doesn't see your face it's like mom dad yeah. is that you like i can't it's see true. you in the crowd all i see is the apple that... symbol turned sideways yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> public service rule. announcement don't use your ipad for that yeah. come on <laughs> come on people seriously watch that. your kids <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you know, and then it's just like a, it could be just a fad because, as you pointed out, you know, mm-hmm. we'll probably get CCTV everywhere and then we will have some sort of plug in for Acme where we can just say, hey, grab all the images of me for me, will you? Yeah, yeah, no, I <laughs> yeah, think that's yeah. coming, you know, I, I, I think of somewhere like uh, I always look at like Granville Island here in Vancouver. It's a very scenic uh, spot in Vancouver, a lot yes. of tourists. And the sheer volume of photographers down there, it's just uncanny. And you got to assume at this point that pretty much every square inch of that thing could be mapped with all the pictures, mm-hmm. um, even publicly available pictures. You could map mm-hmm. that entire space. I met a really interesting um, woman. She's a professor at Emily Carr, and um, she was part of the women's UX design group here in Vancouver. She created a prototype of a project um, and got some funding from the school. It was really interesting. It was about crowdsourcing images, exactly as Paul just mentioned, for world events. So if there's a protest somewhere, it actually takes everyone's images that they're sharing at that exact point in time and stitches it together into one image. And as you pan through that image in a certain period of time, it's all different perspectives, but they've come together into one image. And it's incredible. It's so smart. And it's very interesting because you're seeing the fabric of all these different perspectives come together in Mm -hmm. one and realizing that there is so much, you know, there's someone from a balcony watching the protest. There's someone from the ground watching the protest. Mm -hmm. And she was able to find a way to to create a system where you upload this content anonymously and then share a point of view in the world that is just very different. And it was a really interesting project. Oh, that was cool. So, uh, let's see, like after, you know, so your three months were up and are you guys, what's, what's next for, uh, for project Acme? Um, um, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> All right. it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, sitting a little bit right now. Um, I'm still chatting with some people about it. Um, but yeah, we're not really sure where it'll go next. Um, but definitely something that, um, 
I'm interested in, in, in pursuing. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily all entirely about the, the actual, to look at it necessarily as a product, um, so much as, as a bit of a, a, a design philosophy or a design perspective, um, sure. on how to approach things. I think there's many different kind of, uh, spaces that could utilize, uh, these similar concepts, um, I think um, things like I think music is a great space that could really um, uh, be enriched by this type of, of thinking. Um, I don't think music has been solved by any any means. Um, uh, it seems like we only have two options now for music or three options. It's like Google, Apple or uh, Spotify, and they all sort of are doing exactly the same thing. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's about, you know, applying these kind of concepts to things and, and seeing, introducing it to people and seeing where, where it takes us. Um, I'm focused on paying off the, the debt of school at the, <laughs> the moment, but uh, that's, that's priority number one. But uh, yeah, still actively trying to, to make a go of it. So we'll Yeah, see. so personally, we'll what's, personally, what's next for you then after getting your MDM, Paul? What, what, are, you, what are you up to next? Uh, I think a lot of it is about pursuing these this uh, stuff. So All right. kind of carrying on with this bent of, of what's possible. Um, I'm still very interested in um, engaging with uh, creative people um, with similar sort of interests and um, building things, um, whether that's a, a product or, or a service-based thing. Um, but I'm sort of... Yeah, I'm sort of sorting that as we speak uh, out, but uh, kind of yeah, pursuing all sorts of different avenues right now, um, both uh, you know in the private sector and 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 elsewhere. So um, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that one as well. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and Carolyn, uh, what what are your post grad plans? Uh, will we get to call you doctor soon? <laughs> Nope, uh, not going for more school. I'm I'm done. I I always wanted to do my master's and I did it, and I'm I'm very happy with where I'm at right now in terms of um, where I'd hope to be. And I think the program exposed me to a lot of um, different things that were relevant to my interests. This project, uh, I'm so thankful to have been a part of. I mean, when I look at Acme, I see it as a piece of a puzzle. Um, in terms of an opportunity to be part of something during a point in time when it was it was possible to create something that was in someone's head and make it a reality as a proof of concept for something. Um, I continue to be completely invested and interested in the future of Acme and supportive to um, where that goes. Um, personally, in my career, in my life, my, the focus right now is on the interpretive display, kind of working in that world of design for culture, history, art, and science. And um, yeah, I think if anything that I learned from the school, from the program, it's that um, it's always good to surround yourself with people who think differently and who are interested in different things. And um, the group that I got to work with is perfect for that. And, uh, you know, I hope to continue discussing ideas and and sharing memories and, um, you know, working together with these people moving forward. Here, here. Yeah, I, I definitely, that was one of the things that I took away from being at the school when I just visited you guys. Like, 
I could just like feel the energy <laughs> and I might not be uh, bubbling up with confidence sometimes, but I was like, wow, I feel like anybody who gets to be a part of any of these teams would be successful. <laughs> like, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely about finding, finding your kind of crew, just like anywhere that you go. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think a lot of other MDM students out there from all different cohorts will agree. Um, I was talking to Dennis, our, our, um, our industry liaison today just about how those internal references will always be stronger than anything else out there because you remember what it's like to work with each other and it just it means so much to have those memories so right here 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 yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh as we wrap up it's uh every podcast tradition and we we shall not break it do you guys have uh Anything you want to plug uh, to my mom and the rest of the audience or um, where can people find you if they want to seek out more information, those kind of things. Or you can, you know, Caroline said she she's trying to pull back. You can be private as well. It's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on. A, you could find me on a sidewalk somewhere in East Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to plug um, some good television. Uh <laughs> Is anybody watching Fargo? Are you guys oh watching God, Fargo? Here we go. You got to watch that show. That show. Don't is ask him to explain the narrative of it, of it unless you want to be on this for another hour. Because he will go and get on I Fargo. think you might be good paying stuff. him right now. They to should be paying it. me. I, I never promote these types of things. Yeah. But it's good, good TV. It seems like it's a rarity these days that there's good TV. But anyway. Sure. Yeah. I would like to plug um, for all of the spaces in this world that people don't visit. If you are living in a city or close to a city or you live in a small town, go check out and go support your local spaces in terms of what they're trying to teach you about the history, um, about the future, about the present. Um, A lot of these spaces need the love and the support of their communities to survive. And I'm talking about everything from learning centers to community centers to museums. It's about getting involved and in order to make those experiences relevant, I think there has to be a participation from people and, um, and a willingness to be interested. So, you know, shout out to the Museum of Vancouver again, um, you know, Science <laughs> World, um, Planetarium, the Aquarium. Um, they're great spaces, and and I think people should not be afraid to embrace them as part of what makes up a city. Uh, very, very well said, Carolyn, and, and I would I would echo that. And and also to say that it's easy to have a sort of a, a, a cynicism about um, the scale of them, especially when we've gone and experienced the, the Louvres of the world. You know, um, they're they may be on on you know meager scale, and they may be on on really tight budgets and stuff. But I think just going to these places, even in their kind of um, rickety states uh, it, it, to still go there and and to give input um, and to um, give support in whatever way is possible just by even just walking through the door is, is very important on a very local level because um, at the end of the day um, you know it's the experiences we're having with our neighbors that are key and understanding where our neighbors came from and the space that we live in um, is, is an absolute priority. So. What's really cool is that when you go to these places, if you start asking questions, you'll find that the majority of people there are just so full of knowledge and so passionate about what they're doing there. I mean, the Vancouver Maritime Museum, you don't sit at that front desk for eight hours a day just for fun. Like you do it because you <laughs> love you love the idea of sharing the maritime history w- with people. And it's 
really it can and can be really interesting and you could have some really interesting conversations with people um and they'll help you find things that are interesting to you so um i am not under a pseudonym or anything but my twitter you have you've posted before on montreal sauce in case anyone wants to keep up with things that i'm doing at ngx in the interactive space um for places like such and um yeah paul and i are both on linkedin just exposed That's Paul right. there a little bit. LinkedIn, yep. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Uh, I'm a big LinkedIner. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I, uh, I'm blowing up on the LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> You've been added to so many professional networks. Yeah. After adjust. tonight, we'll just watch the numbers rise. Yeah, it's gonna <laughs> That's go true. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, may gonna... or, I may or may not be following you guys on Twitter already, so you can try and figure out who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, to your point about uh, local community stuff, uh, um, I think that's an important lesson that I always tell people when they ask about the podcast is, uh, you know, with our podcast, I've learned that everyone has a story or you can use an example of maybe a lesser known podcast like This American Life or something. But uh, everyone has a story. Right. And so do these like little community places. So even if your really small town has like a museum, definitely go check it out because you're going to see a story there that you didn't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we should wrap it up. We've been doing this for two hours. You guys didn't think you'd make it. You actually did. I don't know that any of our listeners made it, but we made it. Yammering (laughs) on and on about stuff. Sorry about that. Apologize. On the the contrary, we made it to uh, at our peak. We were at eight listeners. Eight. On the live stream. And we were we were pretty much hanging around six for most of it. Yeah. It's that's pretty you. good. <laughs> that's Thank good. You to everyone. Um, that's good. Yeah, we're competing against Jessica Jones on Netflix. Come on. Yeah, I mean, come um, on. So yeah, and you guys, because you were talking, uh, you avoided a quiz, so you did a very good job. Sweet. So thank God for that. I hate quizzes. <laughs> thank you. Hate them. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> thank thank you, you guys for having it us was, again. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to have an opportunity to talk about all this stuff. We put a lot of time and energy into it, so it was good to be able to talk about it. Always fun chatting with you guys. Thank you. <laughs> cool. All right. Well. Uh, that's it for the show. You can find me if you want to stalk me, uh, I guess, uh, at Sick Days, uh, S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S on Twitter. Or you can just go to sickdays.me, which I just recently updated with a new little blog thing that I'm playing with. Anyway, nice. there you go. Uh, and there's some other person. Who's that? That's Paul. Hey, what's up? <laughs> hey, uh, you can find me. I'm also on Twitter at Paul D. Or uh, you can go to padizio.com to find all my other links to stuff, other places that I am online. Where, where can they find the podcast online, Paul? The podcast they can find online at montrealsauce.com. And if you want to support us in our ongoing creation of new episodes of Montreal Sauce and doing things like getting equipment and scheduling guests and all of that kind of fun stuff, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash msauce and you can sign up to uh, be a patron of ours and uh, help keep the show going. We appreciate uh, the support of our listeners. Cool. And next week, same bat channel, same bat time. Has anyone ever said that before? Uh, <laughs> next week is actually Film Frown next Thursday. So we're reviewing... Kid and Plays Magnum Opus House Party from 1988 with uh, Daniel J. Hogan. Hopefully Arden will join us. And of course, Armin, who is also a student at the awesome CDM. 
So uh, he's been with us for a couple of shows, and we have a lot of fun. Um, the next Montreal Sauce is on the 17th, and we'll be talking to an instructor and visual arts education coordinator from the International Academy of Film and Television in Antwerp. Wow, that was a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Thanks to everyone for listening. And remember, if life gives you potatoes, make poutine. <laughs> Very Canadian of you. Yeah, I tried. I think I actually, that. I think I came up with that at the podcast <laughs> that you were on. Aha, we inspired you. That's I like right. it. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, live stream. Good night, live stream. Good night, internet. Good night, internet. Good night, internet. Like <laughs> it's a new children's book. <laughs> Good night, internet. <laughs> <laughs>